the book of Luke, going through the book of Luke, and we're in chapter 6 right now, so we've covered a fair amount of territory, and we're just getting into some of Jesus' teaching. He's, he's taught a little bit up to this point, but this is some of his uh, most significant teaching that we've gotten to, and uh, so we're going to dig into that a little bit today, but before we do that, I want to draw your attention over here. to some pictures. This is a picture, I didn't tell her I was gonna be doing this, but a picture of my beautiful bride on our wedding day. And this is when, when uh, we were looking at each other. Was this our first glimpse, first shot, first time we saw one another on, the, on our wedding day? And so uh, this a picture has always been in my office ever since. It gets a little dusty from time to time, so I'm cleaning it off right now in your presence. But, you know, picture of my picture of my beautiful bride, and then you you probably recognize these if you've been around. These are our four kids. It's a few years old, and I need to dig out some frames for some of the new pictures that we've had printed. But Hannah, Henry, Harry, and Harper, and this sits on my on my bookshelf. It's also a little bit dirty. I'm sorry if that's bothering you, but um, you know, it kind of sits on my shelf, and it's one of the first things I see when I when I walk in. And and these are you know some of the most important things to me, right? These are, these are some of the most important things in my life. My, my wife and my kids, they, 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 they drive so much of what I do and so much of what we do. And um, I don't know about you, but you probably have pictures. Does, does everyone have pictures in their house of some kind? You know, raise your hand if you've got a picture. Okay, good. I thought most of us would have a picture. What are the kind of things that you put in picture frames? Shout them out. Go ahead and... Your granddaughters, Yeah. Your dogs? You got dogs in picture frames? Okay. Memories. memories. Yeah, you put memories in there. Vacations. What? Your kids. Did someone say graduation? Yeah. Yeah. Family history. I bet there's some other things we have in frames at home too, though, right? I mean, maybe. Especially guys in, our, in, our, in your man cave or in your office, right? There's probably some, some pictures in your wall like... John, I don't know, you got a picture of your car probably somewhere, right? Or dream car, no? Okay. So yeah, so there's other things. Now, uh, let, me, let me ask this question. Does anyone frame up unimportant things? Like, uh, you know, like a kernel of corn. Anybody have a kernel of corn just like hanging in a frame? Trey, you got a kernel of corn hanging in a frame? All right. I love it. You have a mustard seed? Well, that's, that's not insignificant. That has quite a bit of significance to it. But, uh, or, um, you know, we were eating marshmallows and blueberries. Anybody got a marshmallow framed up at home? <laughs> Probably not. Or, you know, what, what are some of the least significant things in our lives? You know, we spend so much time on our smartphones, you would think we would have pictures of them, right? We'd, like, take pictures of our phones and frame them up and, like, our smartphones would be the background on our smartphones, a picture of our smartphone on our smartphone because we're so, I'm sorry, that's probably a little too personal for some, some of us this morning, but we don't tend to frame up things that, that we aren't, you know, passionate about, right, or that we don't love in one way or another. And for sure, we don't frame up, we don't hang on our walls, in our houses, in our offices, we don't have the screen, uh, the background on our screens, on our phones, or, or the wallpaper on our computers. Some of us might have pretty scenes, places we've never been, we might like to go. But, but how many of you have um, Adolf Hitler as your, as your desktop background? Anybody? <laughs> I hope not. I hope not. Um, or, or uh, Osama bin Laden. Anyone have Osama bin Laden? You know, some, some, of, the, some of the vile people. Or, or uh, Stalin. I bet, I bet no one's got Stalin hanging up. If, if you are hanging up, um, we can talk after church. We have a very serious conversation. But um, maybe that's a little too general, a little too easy. But how about in our, in, our, in our personal lives? You know, we all probably have in your life someone who has harmed you, someone who has wronged you, and someone you might even classify as an enemy. Someone who has done something so vile, so despicable towards you that, that you don't think you can ever forgive them. And I, I wonder, do, do we have 
their picture hanging up on our wall. Maybe some of us do because we're still in a relationship with them, and if we take the picture down, then that's going to cause more problems. And so um, we decide to leave the picture up just to keep things peaceable. But uh, probably for the most part, our, our walls are not decorated with our enemies. And in fact, and I, I, would, I would dare say that there's probably no one, if so, maybe, maybe, maybe a few, but almost none who in the world would have their enemies hanging on their walls unless it's on a dartboard. And then, you know, we've probably done that before. I don't know if you've ever put a picture on a dartboard. I may or may not have put somebody's picture on a dartboard at some point in time, but it doesn't matter because I'm not any good at darts. So, But today we're looking at Jesus' teaching on love. Now remember, this is, this is the teaching at, at the beginning of his ministry. This is when he's just called the apostles out of his disciples. He's just called the 12 to follow him. And so this is some of his initial teaching. And, and we, we talked, I'm going to recap it here a little bit, what we talked about last week. But this is, this is the, some of the core foundational teaching for Jesus' ministry while he was here on earth. And so we need to pay special attention to this because this is going to lay a foundation for Jesus' entire ministry as he walks here among us. So Luke chapter 6, verse 27, Jesus is speaking and he says, but I say to you who are listening, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. To the person who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other as well. And from, from the person who takes away your coat, don't withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks you, and do not ask for your possessions back from the person who takes them away. Treat others in the same way you would want them to treat you. If you love those who love you, what, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do, do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to be repaid, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners so that they may be repaid in full. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing back. Then your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High because he is kind to ungrateful and evil people. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Did you see that verse right there at the end? It says, love your enemies, do good, and lend expecting nothing back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, because He, God, is kind to ungrateful and evil people. You've probably noticed that, you've probably observed that truth in our world, right? That, that, that the Bible says that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. That is what the Bible teaches. And so, so God is good. There is, a, there is a measure of God's goodness that, that comes on all people on this planet, whether they are following him or not. He is kind to ungrateful and evil people. But then I had the thought, I wonder if he's talking about sinners or if he's talking about us. So there are four things here that, that, that Jesus says to do in this short little section. He says, first, to love your enemies. If you have your uh, bulletin, you can fill in the blanks on some of these here. First, you love your enemies. So he says, love your enemies. He says, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who mistreat you. Love your enemies. This is a little bit counterintuitive, right? I mean, this is not natural to us to love our enemies. And then he says, to the person who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other as well. I like this translation. This is the New English translation, and it makes this a little bit clearer to me for my understanding. To the person who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other as well. 
We've been watching uh, The Office. We've been re-watching The Office, going back through uh, some of the seasons of The Office. And we just watched the episode where Pam gets to hit Michael. Does anyone remember that episode? And everyone, they kind of go and gather around in the parking lot afterwards. And, and Pam is going to hit him. And she, she kind of rears up. She's going to punch him. And then Michael you know, is going to block it. And she, you can't block it. That was part of the agreement. And so she, she's going to hit him again. And then he does the same thing. And then a little bit of compassion and grace comes over Pam. And she's not going to hit him. And then Michael, as he often does, says something disparaging. And so she just turns around and smacks him. And everyone, <gasps> there's this audible gasp. It was humiliation, right? It was, it was a spectacle. And that's the idea that's, that's being mentioned here, that this idea of someone striking you on the cheek was actually one of public rejection, getting expelled or you know, being kicked out of the synagogue. And Jesus says, if somebody strikes you on the cheek, if somebody embarrasses you and kicks you out of the synagogue, your response is supposed to be, here, you want this one too? You already took this one here. To offer the other. This also has some connotations for, for the call of being a disciple, that, that when we are rejected, when we are publicly humiliated of being one of Christ's followers, that we still keep going, even though we may be embarrassed. So he said, love your enemies to the person who strikes you on the cheek. Offer the other as well. The third one, he said, and from the person who takes away your coat, do not withhold your tunic either. So if someone, if someone takes your coat or someone asks for your coat, he says, you're supposed to just give it, which sounds really ridiculous to most of us, right? I mean, somebody comes up to me and asks for my coat, I'm supposed to just give it? And if they want your undershirt now for your own protection I'm not going to take off my shirt or my I don't have an undershirt on so I can't really exemplify this so um, but you know if you wanted my shirt I would be supposed to give you my shirt and then you know I have my undershirt on and if you wanted my undershirt then I'm not supposed to hold that back as well I even though I may have to walk back home half naked I'm not supposed to withhold it the fourth thing is treat others in the same way you would want them to treat you. We call that the golden rule, right? That's, that's kind of the name that has been given. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Is how you probably learned it if you grew up in church. There was a teaching. This was actually a common ethical teaching in Jesus' time that said, don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. And that was, that was a, a common thing that was taught, but it's kind of, kind of the opposite of what Jesus taught. He flipped it on his head and says, do to others what you want them to do to, do to, do to you. It's not that you don't do it so that they don't do it back to you. You, know, you do, you, you plant, you sow what you want to reap. Treat others in the same way you would want them to treat you. <clears throat> this is a radical way of thinking. This is, this is different than anything that's really been taught, especially when you consider the culture and the world that, that Jesus was teaching in. You know, having enemies was common practice, right? I mean, there were enemies of Israel. There were, there were enemies, you know, there were rivalries between families, between brothers. There, you know, there's a lot of history in the Old Testament that talks about the enemies and how, how there would be enemies within fa families and, and, and there would be people who were constantly at odds with God's chosen people. So having enemies was, was a normal part of life. And in fact, the people that, that were listening to Jesus teach were expecting Jesus to come in and defeat their enemies, to, to build a kingdom and destroy and defeat all of the enemies of Israel and, and reinstitute the kingdom of God in the way that they had been dreaming about it happening. And, but here comes Jesus, and he's not doing any of that. He says, instead of defeating your enemies, love your enemies. It's radical, it's challenging. In fact, I would argue that it's impossible for us to live this out in our own strength. And this takes us back to last week where we talked about that Jesus wants to be your source. 
right? Jesus doesn't want to just be something you add to your life so that you feel better about your life, so you can go to church on a Sunday and feel better about your Saturday. Jesus wants to be the source of life that is welling up within you, springing up within you, eternal living waters that overflow out of our lives in abundance onto the lives around us. Jesus wants to be our source. Remember, we talked that Jesus wanted to be what we value. He wants to be what we crave. Jesus wants to be what brings us joy. And Jesus wants to be what people remember about us. Jesus wants to be our source. And when Jesus is our source, it changes our perspective on everything. When Jesus is your source, the source for your life and for my life, it changes the way we see the entire world. Jesus wants to be your source. He wants to fill you to overflowing. People are filled up with a lot of things these days, aren't they? You could say that, that we're, even, we're even overflowing with a lot of things in our world today. You can see it, and it's, it's probably exaggerated for us because it's put before us on a constant basis on TV and in your news feed or wherever you're getting your news these days. That we can see it, but, but these are the things that are, that are put before us that, that people seem to be filled with. Pride. That's a pretty common one. We're, we're full of pride. Hubris is something that is celebrated in our culture. We don't seek humility. We seek pride. We're filled up with desires of all kinds, right? There are desires that fill us to overflowing to the point where we will do anything to have these desires fulfilled. We're, we're, we're filled up to overflowing with greed and selfishness, that, that, that we want to get what we want for ourselves, and our greed to get what, what, our, what we want for ourselves drives all the decisions that we make in our lives, And you can even see that we in our world today are filled up with anger, hate, and rage. I don't think it takes a rocket scientist to look at our culture and say, hey, uh, whatever is going on isn't working. Whatever, whatever method we're using isn't working. We, we probably need a new idea. We need to change our approach. Because what this produces in our lives is not anything good, right? I mean, if you have been filled up with any of these things at any point in your life, if you've been filled with anger and rage and hate, or if you've been filled with greed or pride, you know that those produce things in your life, right? They produce anxiety. They produce distrust, worry, doubt, arrogance, defiance, and hedonism. And this is the fruit of a life that is full of the wrong kind of a thing, but Jesus wants to be our source, and if, he's source, if he is our source, he will well up within us a spring of life and not these things which are actually going to result in death. In a few short verses, we're going to get into this concept, and it's one that is it's, it's, it's foundational for us as a church where he's going to talk about being good trees that produce good fruit. And One of the things we try to do is constantly evaluate the fruit that we're producing in our lives so that we, we can see if, if God is in control or if we're in control. Not that we focus on the fruit, but the fruit is the evidence of what God is changing in our hearts. And, and as we focus on what God is doing, and we're going to dig into that here in just a minute, then, then the fruit that our life produces will be entirely different from what the fruit of the world is. But to get back to my point for today, that not last week, I could probably preach another couple sermons on that, but, but I, we don't have time today. If we have the right source, then our entire perspective on everything changes, right? If, if we have the right source, then the way that we see everything around us changes. Everything, not just the easy things, not just the simple things, not the things that we can, we can grasp in our own human understanding, but everything changes when it comes to our perspective. And not just everything, but everyone. How we see everyone around us changes. I'm going to ask you a question. I'm not going to ask for anyone to respond to this question. I just want to ask some questions for you to think about. 
What's the worst thing that's ever been done to you? Who did it? Or maybe the worst thing you've ever experienced in your life was something you did to yourself. Whether it's yourself or that other person, how do you feel about that person at this moment? I mean, what comes up in your heart and in your mind when that person comes to mind? Now, this is probably a little bit more, you know, than you wanted to get on a Sunday morning, but we're trying to deal with the real issues at hand. Just speak from my own personal experience. There are some people in my life that have, that have hurt me, that have wounded me fairly deeply, and still to this day, there, there are plenty of times when that person comes to mind, the things that fill my heart are not love. That may disappoint you, that may surprise you, although I think if you know me as a real person, you know that I'm a real person. I'm not some kind of guy up on a pedestal. I am human just like you are human, and there are times when I remember people, and what comes to mind is not love. What comes to mind is anger. How could you let that happen to me? How is that fair? Really? I mean, you are a good God. Yeah, you're a good God, and, and yet you let this happen to me? And what, what happens is when we, when we allow ourselves to hate our enemies, then it turns to questioning and hating God. If you really loved me, you wouldn't let that happen to me. What kind of God does that? What comes to mind? What comes up in your heart? Would you hang that person's picture on your wall? Would you put their picture on your desktop on your phone? I wouldn't. But that's not what Jesus wants for us. That's not what God designed us for. That is not how we were created. Done a lot of thinking about this over the last several months, and one of the one of the new thoughts that I've had is that as you look back at the garden, back at the very beginning, before the fall, there was there was there was nothing, right? There there was one command that had been given to Adam, one command, and that'd be one picture that I'd like to put up here, but I don't have. You know, it's like you had one job, his one job: don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. One job is the only command that he had been given that he was supposed to obey. And he couldn't do that. One job. It's like, come on, Adam. He had one job. But before that, before, before he took the bite of that fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, before he took that, there was, there was it doesn't seem like as far as I can read, as far as I can understand, there was good and evil that they knew about. All they knew, all they had experienced up until that point was God. That was all they knew. It was just God, relationship with God, where God walked in the garden with them on a regular basis, where they were literally in God's presence. They were with God. That was what existed before they disobeyed God. And I think if we can just maybe gain a little bit of understanding for that, from that this morning for our lives, for today, we can see that that is what we were created for, and that's what Jesus died to get us back to. We were created for love because that's what God is. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 through 12 should be up on the screen for you. God is love. Beloved, this is Papa John talking. Remember we did that series. Grandpa John is talking to us. Beloved, let us 
love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Can't make it much clearer than that, right? I mean, I mean, he gets right down to the core issue. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. So God's love was actually made manifest. We could see it. We could experience the love of God. And how did we experience this love of God? In this love of God, the the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. This is what love is. Verse 10, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, to be the stand-in for our sins, to step in and take what we deserve to receive for our sins. That is what Jesus did for us. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another, and I love this last one. No one has ever seen God. Semicolon. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. The way the world is going to see God, no, it won't be a perfect picture, but the way they're going to see God is how we love one another. We were created for love because that is what God is. We are made in God's image. That means back at the very beginning, being made in God's image meant that we were made for love. We need to be careful when we think about love that we think about the right kind of love because I'm not talking about the love that the world is celebrating right now. I'm, talking, I'm not talking about the romantic, superficial, selfish, erotic kind of love that the world lives by and makes every decision by. That is not the kind of love that I'm speaking about. The kind of love that I'm talking about is the true, eternal, selfless, unconditional love of God. That is the love that we are supposed to be. That is the image of love we were created in. If you start looking for this, you see this everywhere throughout Jesus' ministry. John chapter 17, verse 26 says, And I have declared to them your name and will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. God's desire for us, Jesus' desire for us, is that the same love that the Father has for the Son would be the love that is in us. That, that as, as the Father is in the Son and the Son is in the Father, as they are one, he says the same thing for us, that we would be in him and that he would be in us, that we would be unified, and the unity is through the love of the Father. This is the way we're supposed to love. Jesus' life, in fact, revealed this love for the whole world. That is what John just said in 1 John chapter 4, that Jesus' life made God's love manifest for the whole world to see. It revealed the manner of love that God had for the world. For John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, for God so loved the world. We see almost an exact quote of that in 1 John 4. And this is love, not the, that, that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. In this, the love of God was made manifest, that God sent his only son into the world. For God so loved, God in this manner, in this way, for God in this manner loved the world. It's not just the so, the way that we use the so, that's like, you know, I so need a break right now. I I so need a vacation. No, that's not the so. It is for God so, in this manner, in this way, loved the world. What is the manner? What is the way that God loved the world? That he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. So, in this manner, God, in this manner, loved the world that he gave his only son to give us life. 
1 John chapter 3, verse 1 says, Behold what manner of love. For God in this manner loved the world. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Look, this love is amazing. It is transcendent. We cannot understand it, and we can't even explain it when we try. But this manner that the love of the Father has bestowed upon us is amazing because now we get to be children of God. This is what God wants to fill us up to overflowing with, with his love. His love is what he wants to be pouring out of our lives. Some of us might have a hard time putting the picture of enemies in our frames, but we might have some things in our frames that, that are pursuits for us. What are your dreams? If I were to ask you this question, I would love to dot, 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 what would your answer be? And I wouldn't be surprised at all to have some of those, you know, we have vision boards right now. It's kind of a popular, trendy thing to, to make a vision board of all the things you want to do in your life. You know, we probably have, some of us have boards up of all the things that we would like to accomplish for this year, for the summer, you know, your bucket list. I would love to dot, dot, dot. What are your dreams? What's your biggest pursuit in this world? Ephesians 3, 14, Paul is speaking, and he says, for this reason, this should sound familiar because we just sang about this. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches... So we're going to get a picture of the expansive nature of God's abundance. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So out of, out of his abundance, his glorious riches, which cannot be compared, he, that he will strengthen us with power through his spirit in our inner, inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts by faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love. Jesus wants to be our source, and when he is our source, we are rooted and established in love. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and, and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And not, not just to grasp how, how immense it is, but to know this love that surpasses knowledge. We, we cannot get there in our intellect alone, but, but to know this love that surpasses knowledge that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That word to the measure means to the top, to the brim, to the exact amount that God designed us to contain that we might be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God and the fullness of God is wrapped up in his love. What are your dreams is, is what you are dreaming of right now built on God's love? Is it spreading God's love? Is it showing God's love? Is it being God's love? Is it becoming the love of God so that the world around you may see the love of God? Is we can have a thousand different dreams and God creates us in creative ways where we can go pursue a thousand, a million different ideas and those are all good things but if the source of those things is not God's love then they are going to lead to vanity which will in the end produce the wrong fruit in our lives. That this, this love is God's desire for us that, that he would fill us to overflowing with his love that we would be rooted and established in his love. Quick note on that, we, we, be, we live up on, a, you know, we have five acres and we're planting a lot of things. We've got a garden, we've got fruit trees and one of the things that, we, that we've planted is a lot of fruit trees and grapes and we get them because they're, they're cheaper this way. You get them as bare roots, right? And I don't know if anyone has planted any bare root trees or anything like that, but they come, they're literally just bare root. There's no dirt in them. 
and you have a certain amount of time to get them into the dirt, but the roots are all there. They're, they're, they're already there. They already exist. And so you go through the work of, of preparing the soil, which is something we've talked a lot about around here. So the way, you know, the way I do it is you know, I dig in the dirt, and I take off the topsoil, and I put that aside. Don't even mess with that because it's just too much work, and so I just throw it off to the side and let it decompose. It'll be useful for something down the road. And then you dig down into the dirt, and you get that first layer off, and then, and then you dig down a little bit deeper, and you go down 12 or 18 inches, and then you start working up that soil with the shovel, and you get it nice and soft, and then, and then you put the plant down in there, and when you put the plant down in there, you get to make sure that all the roots are covered in nice, moist, wet dirt, and, and you put it in there. But what I noticed, sometimes I plant one in the wrong spot, or I plant one, and I really come back later, I didn't really want that there, I want something else there, or I planted one, and it, it didn't ever take root, and you know, so I just go back a couple weeks later, and Pull it right up out of the ground. I mean, the roots are there. It, you know, it's, it's come into life. It's starting to put on new growth. You can see that it is actually a living plant, but, but it's just, I can just pop it up out of the ground. No effort whatsoever. Because it's rooted, but it's not established. The trees that I planted two years ago, you cannot pull them up out of the ground. You would be a fool for trying. They, they are established there and, and that is Paul's prayer for us that we would not just be rooted, not that, that our roots would go out and start to produce growth in our lives, but that we would become established, so established in God's love that we're like the tree that is planted by streams of water. And if you grew up in church singing the song, you know, I shall not be moved. That's God's desire for us. This is the manner of love that he wants to give to us, that he wants to see producing fruit in our lives. This is something we cannot do in our own strength, by our own power. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. This is a gift of the Holy Spirit that he is giving to us. This is something that, that we do our part, which is to be receivers we believe, we have faith, those are things that we do, but then God is doing a work in us to will and to act according to his purpose, that the work that he began in us, which we talked about in our Tuesday night Bible study on workplace, is what he began, he will also complete because it's his work, he's the one that's finishing it out. It's not, it's not entirely on us to do, he is the one that is going to bring it to completion, he is the one at work in you, in me, right now, all of us here in this room, to do something for his glory, for his kingdom purposes, that he might produce fruit for his kingdom. Galatians chapter 5 verse 13 starts to summarize all of this. It says, for you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. That's what you were called to. You were not called to captivity. You were called to freedom. But don't use your freedom as an opportunity to indulge your flesh. Don't use your freedom to justify your hate and your anger and your rage against people. Don't, don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh, but through duty, serve one another. Through obligation, serve one another. Through really working hard, serve one another. No, but through love, serve one another. For the whole law can be summed up in a single commandment, namely, you must love your neighbor as yourself. And if you know Jesus' teaching when he asks, who is my neighbor, everyone is. However, if you continually bite and devour one another, beware that you are not consumed by one another. But if I say, live by the Spirit, and you will carry out the desires... Uh, but I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh has desires that are opposed to the Spirit, and the Spirit has desires that are opposed to the flesh. So if you have tried to get holy on your own and live a holy life and really struggled with it, the reason that you've, you've failed, and all of us have failed at this, is because our flesh has desires that are different from the Spirit, and our, our responsibility is to learn to let the Spirit create desires in us, not respond to the desires of our flesh. And so the Spirit has desires that are opposed to the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another so that you cannot do what you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. This is what the flesh does. 
sexual immorality, impurity, depravity, idolatry, sorcery, hostilities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish rivalries, dissensions, factions, envying, murder, drunkenness, carousing, and similar things. About half of those seem to do with relationships, and about half of those seem to be about being angry with other people and being, well, having enemies. Paul says, I'm warning you, as I've warned you before, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is, and what is the very first fruit that Paul mentions? Love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. It's still a lot of relational things, but from an entirely different perspective, right? A lot of relational things, but it's, it's patience, it's kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Now, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit... Let us also behave in accordance with the Spirit. Let's not become conceited, provoking one another, being jealous of one another. Instead, let us live by the Spirit. This is the life that we're supposed to be dwelling in and is supposed to be abundantly produced in our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. This is not just the truth that we're supposed to know in our minds and agree with on a Sunday morning, but it's something that's supposed to affect our day-in, day-out lives Monday through Saturday. It's not something we think about once a week when we gather together here in this building, but it's something that's supposed to radically alter our entire perception of the whole creation. It's something that's supposed to consume us. It's something that ought to wreck our ordinary day-to-day lives because we are being wrecked by the perfect love of God from seeing the world how we used to see it and now being set free to see it how God sees it. We are designed for love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. God's perfect, eternal love. So that person that you hate, that person that you wouldn't frame on your wall, that person that that did unspeakable, horrific things to you, God wants to change the way you see them. God God wants to change the way we look at even the worst things that happen to us. God wants to affect all of our lives down to the core root issues of who we are and those things that have seemed to define us and make us who we are right now, right here in this moment. God wants to actually get down to those and address them, and then he wants to set us free from the control those things have over us and how the enemy will constantly use those things to, to get us off track and kick us off in the wrong direction. He wants to get down to that this morning. He wants to get down here today. Because it's like gardening, you know, you've got all of these things, and if you've got anger and rage and malice and all of these weeds that are in your garden, you know, we've got thistle coming up in our garden, and you can pull it, it's going to come right back, because you can't get that root, right? You can't get down to the depths of that. You've got to get down and root that thing out, and that is what God wants to do in each and every one of us. If we have hate, if we have dissensions, if we have envy, if we have any of these things in our lives that are keeping us from what God has for us. He wants to actually get in there and surgically remove it down to the very bottom and replace it with his love because that is what his entire kingdom is about. It's about being so loved by God that we so love the world. It's about being so loved by God that we put on the right glasses and we see even the people that we won't put in these frames through the lenses of God's design And we see, did they do awful things to me? Sure. Did they hurt me? Did they wound me? Yeah. But if I look at it in the right way, 
I see that they're just broken. They're doing these things because they're broken. They, they're, they're in bondage. I mean, they, they are... They are enslaved to something. They, they have something controlling their life that, that they don't even realize the power it has on them in the moments when they're causing pain to others. They, they can't even see it. It's, the corruption has veiled their entire existence and their entire world, and everything they look at is through the veil of corruption, so they can't see anything. And, but when God gives me the right glasses, the right frames, the right lenses to look through, then all of a sudden I start to see they're, they're just... They're just like I was. They're just like me. They're, they just don't know yet. They, they're not living out anything different yet. They just are. In need of a savior. They need God's love. In God's kingdom, we don't have enemies. You can't have enemies in God's kingdom because God's kingdom is about love. You can't have an enemy when you're rooted and established in love. It doesn't exist. It's a paradox. And when we, as God's followers, have been truly changed by God's love, then it changes how we love. And so we're not loving these people who have wounded us. We're not loving our enemies for selfish ulterior motives, but we're loving them with the love of God, that the love that God is bringing up and raising up within us, eternally resurrecting, eternally rising up within us, his love. We're loving them with that love so that they might get in connection with God's love and that they might be restored and redeemed too, that the thing that is keeping them from God might be paid for with the blood of Jesus Christ on that cross, and the thing that is holding them captive might be done away with, and that they might be able to also experience the freedom of God that we are experiencing in God's love. The kingdom of God can't have enemies. The kingdom of God can't hate. The kingdom of God cannot abide within the concepts and constructs of the world. It changes how we see everything. It changes how we see the bad things that have happened to us. It changes how we see all of the people who have done those bad things. We start to see them instead of these awful, horrific things that we've been through, that God has a redemptive purpose and a redemptive potential in all of them, and that, that what happened to us is something that God is going to use through us so that he can do something in the life of someone else, that this is not just a tragedy that we suffered, but this is something God is going to redeem, and he's going to use it to bring more glory to himself. This is what we call redemptive potential, potential and God sees it in you, and he sees it in me, and he sees it in those who are still in bondage to sin and to slavery, and what he wants to do is to get us to look at all of them differently, even those who would classify as our enemies and see them and say, how can I so love you? Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. What is the manner in which we are going to love? Or you could phrase it this way. What is your so? I'm going to ask if you will stand this morning. Worship team is going to come. <clears throat> if, you're, if you will, bow your heads, close your eyes. If you're here this morning and you would say, you know what, I've still got an enemy. I've still got someone who I just can't imagine putting their picture up on my wall. And that's something that you've been wanting to be set free from and desiring to be set free from, and yet it still seems to come back again and again. I want to pray for you. So if you're here and you need prayer to be set free, to, to be able to see somebody differently, to be able to love them like God loves them, would you just raise your hand real quick and put it back down? 
Yeah. Heavenly Father, I pray for those who raise their hand that you would help them to be able to see everyone and everything in their life the way that you see them. That you'd help them to be able to discover that the, the source of their love is not their own love, but that it's a love that's being poured into them, and it's a never-ending, ongoing, always-rising spring of life that Jesus gives to us freely. And I pray, Father, in this moment, as they picture them, as they think about that person, that they would start to see them right now, in this moment, in an entirely different light, that as your love rises up within our hearts, within our minds, within our souls, and within our strengths, that the way that we see everyone in our life would change, and we would see these people washed in the love of God. That we would see and remove all of the external things that are merely the fruits of being corrupt, and we'd be able to see beyond all of that and see what you see, and that is a soul, someone who, who is lost and broken and hurting and in need of a Savior, and that we'd be able to see beyond all the hurt, beyond all the pain, beyond all the struggle, and to see what you see in them, a lost son, a lost daughter, wandering aimlessly in need of a Savior. For all of us this morning, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would not only root us in your love, but establish us so firmly in your love that the only thing that can grow up and be produced in our lives is the things that come out of the fruit of the Spirit, that, that the only things that, that have a, po a power and authority to dwell and exist in our lives is what you allow to be there. So I pray, Father, in Jesus' name, that those things that maybe have come up in our mind this morning that we're dealing with, anger, rage, bitterness, envy, strife, greed, selfishness, any of those things that have come up that aren't of you, I pray, Father, that we would see those how you see them. Something that separates us from you. Something that we cannot have because we're in the kingdom of God. Not, not something that drives the decisions we make in our life, but something that is actually building a wall and keeping us from drawing close to you. Help us to see those things in that way. To lay them down at the foot of the cross. To sacrifice them once and for all time to leave them at your feet and to pick up now our cross of sacrifice, our cross of being your follower, our cross of being made in your image, having the image of Christ being remade in us, being restored and redeemed in us, and, and seeing that as something that we receive as a gift of the power of the almighty, infinite, everlasting God that he wants to pour into our lives, and that as that love grows up and pours up and rises up in us, that it conquers and defeats anything in us that is not of you. I thank you for that. I thank you for the redemptive potential that lies in this room. I thank you for everyone who has gathered here. I thank you for the way that you see us. Father, help us to see ourselves and one another the way that you see us, that we may be overcome with love as we live out this kingdom life you've given us here. In Jesus' name, amen.